0: Good morning. Good morning. We uh, continue on our study in the book of Malachi. We're in chapter 3. So we're almost halfway there. But whenever we come to the Bible and find a repeated event or word from God, you can be sure that something very important is taking place and we ought to find out what it is. That is the case with our message this morning. Throughout the Bible there is a repetition, and echo if you please, of a promise from God. It is the promise of the coming of the Lord to this earth. We need to understand that the Old Testament prophets did not foresee the birth of Christ, His ministry, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His return in the rapture, And his second coming in a neat chronological order. They didn't see all these things happening as if it were going to happen in an orderly fashion. They saw pieces of a puzzle and because of their writings on the subject can sometimes be confusing to us. Nonetheless, they gave us forth the word that the Messiah was coming, that Jesus will be coming again. We know that Christ came the first time, just as prophesied to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. We know that the forerunner named John the Baptist came before Him as He originated His earthly ministry. We know that He died on the cross, just as he, Isaiah the prophet said He would. He was a suffering servant, and the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. We know that He arose as prophesied in the Bible. He ascended back the heavenly father and one day is coming again amen we all look forward to that because in this earth there's so much pain suffering so many things are wrong and we want hopefully we long for heaven where everything will be made right one preacher has stated that one out of every 30 bible verses speaks of the second coming of jesus christ His second coming is mentioned eight times more often than His first coming. Angels, prophets, apostles, and Christ mentioned the promised second coming of Jesus. Whole chapters are given to this subject. We may ask, what delays His coming? What delays His coming? There are at least three reasons why the Lord has not come for His church. God's appointed hour has not yet arrived. We find that at Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. The church has not yet been completed. Acts chapter 15, verse 14 through 16. And lastly, the long suffering of God has not yet been exhausted. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. Our duty is not to look at the return of the Savior, but to look for the return of the Savior. It is not the na- not the subject of the return of Christ, but the Savior who is returning that must capture our attention. We should be longing for, wanting, and hoping for Christ to come soon. That should be the desire of every believer. Next, uh, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God. We're going to back, back Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to read 6 verses, 1 through 6. See... I am coming, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, you delight, in. see, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, and like a launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner. And purifies of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then he will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and the years gone by. I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. Your descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you just giving you thanks, Lord, for this day, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to be here at your church, Lord, and we pray that this message would be uh, just a just a message to encourage us, but also to rebuke us, Lord, and to just, Lord, um, and you would uh, be the center and focus of everything that we do we pray all this in Jesus name amen, amen. you may be seated So a comfort in his coming verse one of Malachi to the faithful the promise of the coming of the Lord is wonderful. If you fear his coming because there's people who are like yes Jesus come, and there's people who are like, no, no, Jesus, don't come. I'll wait, 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 or I'm not ready. Or I'm scared. And there's people who are scared that Jesus will come again. If you're fearful of the second coming, you need to get saved. You need to get right with God. You need to repent and turn away from your sins, from all your wrongdoing, your wickedness, and turn to Christ. His appearance is something God's true people long for and would love to see at any time. And you will feel positive about His coming if you are safe and ready for His return. The Spirit says, come Lord Jesus, and the Bible that is in the church says, come, we look for, not just at His appearing. This is not about a subject to be studied, but a Savior to be welcomed. We welcome Jesus to come back. But there's a caution in His coming as well. To the lost, to those who are not right with God, to those who do not know Jesus, the promise of His coming is a warning. You are put on notice that the Lord of glory will appear and you will appear before Him. It is highly probable that the text before us refers to the great white Throne. Judgment as described in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. That particular judgment will involve the final judgment of the loss of all the ages. Note that in the passage that the Lord looks at your name in the Lamb book of life, if your name's not there, no second chance is given. So is your name in the book of life. That's what we should be worried about and concerned about. Dear friend, dear when you come to Jesus, God places your name in the book. When you repent, when you turn away from Jesus, when you receive the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He puts your name in the book, which was put before the foundation of the earth. Some of us were elected before this creation was even made, before anything was even put. God has predestined us before the foundations of the world that we would be His and that our name would be in the book of life. But no one can erase it. Your name is in the book of life. No one can erase it. God will never remove it. You are in His hand and no one can snatch you out of His hand. Amen. There is a comfort of that. There is an assurance that we are His and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Amen? You see, God sent a caution to everyone, a caution that we must be ready for His coming at any time. Now, which is today... Is the day of salvation. If you're not right with God, if you're listening via Facebook or any sort of video here, get right with God today. You're not promised tomorrow. You might not be here. Verses 2 to 4. Let's read verses 2 to 4. But who can endure the day of his coming and who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. And like the launderer's of bleach, he will be like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then he will present offerings to the Lord in righteous. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old and in the years gone by. Today's message is titled, He is like a refiner's fire. He is like a refiner's fire. So, the congregation, the church, we're cleansed. Only the cleansed can stand. Only if you're cleansed can you stand before the Lord. Who can stand before God as holy and pure as He is? Only those who have been cleansed. There is a twofold cleansing that the Lord provides to those who come to Him. First, He cleanses us from us as silversmith cleans metal of impurities. When metal is heated, The impurities float to the top. Then can be skimmed away, leaving only the pure, precious metal behind. God speaks of cleansing sin from the soul in the same way. He alone is able to remove the impurities from our lives, and all of us here have impurities in our lives. This passage speaks specifically to innate sin, that which is born in us. It is so much a part of us that we cannot distinguish where it ends and where we ourselves end. Only a work of grace can separate the impurities and make us holy before our holy God. Because our God is a holy God. Holy, holy, holy. Jesus gave us pure, His pure life on the cross for your impure life. Your impure life was substituted for Christ's pure life. He took your impurities and gave you purity, which is righteousness. He gave us righteousness. When you turn to Him by faith, repenting of your sins, He applies His righteousness to your account. He writes, paid in full. So there's nothing old anymore. On your record, every impurity is removed from you and totally Righteousness is given to you. Isn't that a great news? Amen? Right? We should be excited that we are... That our, that our debt is paid in full. How wonderful! Who on earth will reject such an offer? Sadly, many do reject Him. They reject Christ. They reject the Lord. Which will you be? One who receives Him or one who refuses Him? It will matter when He returns and He will be coming very, very soon. Second, He cleanses us as a person cleanses a piece of clothing. Clothing picks up dirt in the world. The dirt in clothing is not part of the cloth. It's not. I mean, who who likes to do laundry? Nobody does, right? We got to do it. We got to have clean clothes. The dirt is not part of the clothes, but it has become part of it as time passes and the material has come in contact with something unclean. We are like that also. We pick up the grime and the dirt of this world as we live. Modern detergent ads claim to remove almost 100% of the impurities in clothing. Notice that they don't claim to remove everything. Jesus cleanses you totally. We are cleansed totally by the work of Christ on the cross. The Lord Himself provides for us cleansing in His precious blood. We sang it. In His precious blood. He took our sins at Calvary and bore the heat of God's wrath in order to take away our innate impurities. He washes us in His precious blood to take away our sin. If you're able, go to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. And God's Word says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. That's what we were cleansed with. Through His blood, we receive pardon. Through His blood, we receive pardon. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Through His blood, we receive peace. That is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Through his blood, we receive power. Revelation 12, verse 10 through 12. Through his blood, we receive purity. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Through his blood, we receive paradise. We he receive heaven. Revelation chapter verse, verse 7 chapter 7, verse 14. So through his blood, we are pardoned, we peace, power, purity, and heaven, paradise. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other fountain, I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. He is a refiner's fire that makes and that makes all the difference. A refiner's fire does not destroy indiscriminately, like a forest fire. And we here in California have seen we have so many forests, fires, mountain fires. A refiner's fire does not consume completely like the fire of an incinerator. A refiner's fire refines. It purifies. It melts down the bar of silver or gold. Separates out the impurities that ruin its value it burns them up and leaves the silver and gold intact he is like a refiner's fire it does not it does say fire so the word fire is there fire the text and therefore purity and holiness will always be a dreadful thing there will always be a proper fear and trembling which we all should have in the process of becoming pure we learn it from the time that we're little children. Never play with fire. Do not tell your little kids, do not play with fire. You're going to get burned. And that's and it's a good lesson. Therefore, Christianity is never a play thing. It's not a play thing. And the passion for purity is never flippant. He is like fire, and fire is serious. You don't fool around with it. You will get burned, and it will hurt. But it does say he is like a refiner's fire, refiner's fire, and therefore this is not merely a word of warning, but a tremendous word of hope, the furnace of affliction in the family of God is always for refinement, never for destruction, amen, it's for our good, so I want to ask four questions about this text right now this morning. Let me ask you four questions that point to you that answers the scripture in the time we have remaining. Who is like a refiner's fire? Who is like a refiner's fire? Why must he be like a refiner's fire? How can we experience his fire as refining and not consuming? What is it like to be the refiner's fire? And who is like the refiner's fire? Verse 3 gives the answer and let's read it. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. the messenger of the covenant of whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So there's three individuals mentioned in this text right here. First individual mentioned is I. Behold, I send. So who's the I. This I is identified at the end of the verse, says the Lord of hosts. I is the Lord of hosts. The speaker is Jehovah, God the Father. He's the first I. The second individual mentioned in Jehovah's messenger who prepares the way. Who's the messenger that prepares the way? Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. Who is this? Well, the New Testament quotes this very verse to identify John. The Baptist, the one who came to prepare the way for Christ. And we see that in Matthew chapter eleven, verse ten, Mark one, two, and Luke chapter seven, verse twenty-seven. But you don't have to read it in the in it from the New Testament that this kind of prophet from whom God will raise up in the last day. It says in Malachi chapter four, verse, look at Malachi chapter four, verse five, which is just one chapter ahead. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that the Lord comes. So the first messenger mentioned in 3:1 that God will send to prepare his way is a kind of Elijah. Is a kind of Elijah or one like Elijah. That is why Luke chapter 1, verse 17 says that John the Baptist went before Jesus in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. The third individual mentioned in verse 1 is the Lord who comes to His temple, the Lord who comes to His temple, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. So, the identity of the third individual, let's look at the third individual a little bit more. This is another messenger, different from the first, who is who is this person? Three things to point out to the divine Son of God and Messiah. He is called Lord, a term that Malachi would not apply to Elijah or John the Baptist. This person is someone greater. The temple is said to belong to him. He will suddenly come to his temple. Or whom could you say that he is the owner of the temple of God? Of whom can we say that? No one, right? Only God owns his own temple. This person seems to be almost identical with Jehovah. Not only because Jehovah's temple is His temple, but also because He seems to take the place of the word me. It says the word me. In the first half of the verse it says, Behold, I send my messenger Elijah John the Baptist to prepare the way before me. But then He switches without any difficulty, and instead of saying, I will suddenly come to the temple, he says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. So it looks looks as though me, which is Jehovah, is virtually interchangeable with the other person called Lord, who owns the temple of God. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah? So I conclude that the messenger of the covenant, the Lord, the owner of the temple of God, is none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is with God and is God. John chapter 1 verse 1. And who came into the world and made himself known to us personally in Jesus Christ. So why must he be like a refiner's fire? Second question. Why must he be like a refiner's fire? The answer is implied in the word itself. He must be like a refiner's fire because we need to be refined. We need to be refined. We were created in the image of God every day. Human is created in the image of God with the potential to reverence God and trust Him and obey Him and glorify Him. But we were born in iniquity and in sin did our mother conceive us. We were born with original sin from the very beginning when we are conceived. We are shot through, the, through with the impurity of rebellion and unbelief and we fall short of God's glory again and again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none good, not even one. We're all sinners. You can prove this to yourself in many ways. For example, you can notice how readily your heart inclines to those things that will show your strengths to other people and how resistant your heart is to communion with God in solitude. We always want to look good in front of other people, but do we want to... Does our heart long to be in communion in solitude with God? Do we seek to be in prayer? Do we seek to be in the Word? Sometimes we don't, right? So we are impured by nature and by practice. We were born that way and we continue to live that way, a part of God's intervening process in our lives. But God will have no allies, alloys in heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And yet, he will have someone in heaven. He will have a redeemed people. His banquet hall will be full, and therefore he must be a refiner's fire. If he were only a forest fire, heaven would be empty. If he were only an incinerating fire, heaven would be empty. And if he were no fire, heaven would be empty why God won't abandon impure people like us why won't he abandon impure people like us how do we know heaven will not be empty have you ever asked that question how do we know heaven will not be empty or put, to put it in another way how do we know that God will not simply abandon impure people like us how, will even, how do we know that we don't deserve salvation. None of us, right? None of us deserve salvation. Why are we not simply consumed? Why does Christ not come as a refiner's fire and not a forester's fire? Let's go to verse 6. Verse 6 of chapter 3. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change. So we have a God who does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Therefore you, so, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. But by itself, that doesn't change. That doesn't make sense. What if God were changelessly bent on being a forest fire? What if He were changes, changeless and unrelenting, unrelenting wrath? What sort of changelessness is that that guarantees that we are not consumed? It is covenant-keeping changelessness that we've talked about covenant through this message, through this book of Malachi, have we not? According to verse 1, the Lord comes to the messenger of the covenant. The reason Jesus is a refiner's fire and not a forest fire is because God made a covenant. He's made a covenant with us. And Jesus is the emissary of that covenant. He confirms it and seals it with His blood. So His blood is called... Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20. may the God of peace who brought us from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant the everlasting covenant so the blood of the everlasting we talked about blood the blood of the everlasting covenant the book of Malachi began with the statement of how the covenant began he says I have loved you says the Lord but you, have, you say how has he loved us Is not Esau's Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet yet I have loved Jacob. This is what never changes the free and sovereign choice of God to save sinners like you and me. I have loved you, says the Lord, and and I the Lord do not change. Therefore you are not consumed. Therefore Jesus is like a refiner's fire and not a forest fire. That is hopeful, that is good news for all of us. Third, how can we experience his fire as a refining and not consuming fire? Verse 5, let's read verse 5 of Malachi. Chapter 3, verse 5. I will come to you in judgment and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers, against those who are false, against those who oppress, the hired worker, the widow, and the fathers, and against... Those who deny the justice to the resident alien, they do not fear me," says the Lord of Armies. Verse five makes it clear that when God comes, not everyone will be refined. Not everyone will be refined. Some will be consumed. Consumed. So, this is not the work of refinement. What we just read in verse five. It's not the work of refinement but the final judgment of condemnation and it is even clearer in chapter 4 verse 1 Malachi chapter 4 verse 1 for look the day is coming burning like a furnace when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble the the coming day will consume them says the Lord of armies not leaving them root or branches see that? So when the Lord comes some are refined, if you're in Christ you're going to be refined, and some are consumed, if you're not in Christ you will be consumed. How can we sh- how can we be sure to experience the fire of God as refining and not consuming? Cuz one or the other, it's going to either refine us or consume us. What are what the answer cannot be? And I'll tell you what the answer cannot be. Notice very clearly that what the answer cannot be, the answer cannot be Get rid of your own sin. Can can any of us get rid of our own sin? No. If you got rid of your own sin, you would need no refining. Refining is for sinners. You can't answer the question, how, how do I qualify to get refined? By saying, get rid of your own sin. You cannot get rid of your own sins. That's what refining does. It starts to burn up your sin. But how then does a sinner qualify to have his sin burned up if it takes the merciful fire of God to destroy the rebellion of sin? What can man do to have that mercy? The answer of the whole Bible. What is the answer of the whole Bible? And the answer of the whole Bible is trust in the purifying mercy of God. Amen? God, or put it this way, Malachi puts it again and again, fear God, which means mainly fear to dishonor Him with unbelief. Fear the irreverence of distrust, fear the impulse to jump out of the refining fire of mercy into the forest fire of judgment because it looks cooler. Trust the goodness of God, believe that His ways are the ways to infinite joy. Don't doubt His expertise as a refiner. God is a great and perfect refiner. The way to experience the fire of Christ is refining and not consuming is to trust His promises to bring us through the fire to, to endless joy. Salvation is the grace through faith in the purifying mercy of God. Only through Jesus Christ. It's only through Christ, you guys. No other way. Only God has one way for us to come. Lastly, what is life like in a refiner's fire? What is life like in a refiner's fire? The most important thing to say is that it is a life of confidence in God. Confidence in God. And the foundation of our confidence is this promise, the furnace of affliction in the family of God is always for refinement, never for destruction. I, the Lord, do not change, it says in the end, in that, in the end of chapter and verse 6, because I, the Lord, have not changed, your descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Which simply means that life in the refiner's fire is a life of trust in the unchanging, purifying love of God. It's loving, but it might be painful and hurt, but it's loving. And perhaps the next most important thing to say is that there is no painless path to heaven. There's no painless path to heaven. Why? Because Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And it is no more important and possible to become pure painlessly than it is to be burnt painlessly. Does that make sense? Pure, purity comes through the refining fire. And the fire has two forms. One is the fire of affliction and the other is the fire of intentional self-denial. So the fire of affliction we see the first fire and let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 and 7 so we can see what it what it is. And it says now for a little while while you may have to suffer various trials so that the the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which is through perishable, is tested by, what? Fire. May we bound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we've heard this one over and over. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5 through 10 and verse 14. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, for the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are an illegitimate children. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. So the question is, are you being disciplined in your life? Has God disciplined you or is He just letting you live life? coasting with no issues whatsoever. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That is the first one, which is the fire of affliction. And all of us will go through the fire of affliction in our lives as Christians. There's no getting away or around it. But be sure that God loves you in the midst of that. And He cares for you guys. You're you refining finding Secondly, the fire of intentional self denial. And the other form of purifying fire is the fire of intentional self denial. We see it in an example of Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. It said, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Not literally, but figuratively. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. That is self denial. That is. Dying to your flesh, to your sin. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27 says, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. The sanctifying process is God working in our lives, but we also have a say in what we do in our daily lives, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 13, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We have to do this as Christians. We gotta be self-denial. Take up our cross, deny ourselves daily, and follow Jesus Christ. That's what we must do as Christians. Unshakable trust in God's purifying fire. What What is life like in a refiner's fire? More than anything, else it is the unshakable trust that all the paths of the lord are steadfast love and faithfulness and on the path of purity and heaven the other truth is this no pain no gain if anyone ever tells you come to christ because he's gonna make your life wonderful and you're gonna have this riches and you're gonna you gonna have peace and we do have Peace and we are blessed, and God is good to us, giving us good things. But coming to Christ is taking up your cross, is denying yourself, is not an easy road. It will cost you something. The question is sometimes we think that coming to Christ doesn't cost anything, but it will cost you. It might cost you relationships, friends, family, your job. It'll cost you, maybe, you know, you never know. What's, what's it going to cost you? Opportunities. Because Christians will be hated. Christians will not... If you stand up for Christ, if you stand up for the Word of God, the Bible, people will not like you. You will be rejected. You will be ridiculed. Made fun of. You will be not invited to things. And you will suffer. God will put things in your life, where you will go through trials and tribulations and hardships, and you're going to be, God, why is this happening to me? Why is this... All these things come into my life right at this very moment. But you got to know that God is sovereign and in control and He loves you as a Christian if you're in Christ. He loves you, He cares about you, and He works all things for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Amen? So, again, no pain, no gain. Both things are true. The Lord is like a refiner's fire, and a refiner's fire is a fire. It is hot. It does burn not uncomfortable, it's it's uncomfortable, and I know right now it's kind of getting cold, we actually want a little bit of heat, right? But, the heat that God purifies us with is for our own good, and it's so that we can be more like Christ every day, be more like Him in His image. So let's pray, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for our life, thank you for our understanding that you continue to grow in in our mind, and I pray that you would refine us, Lord, transform my heart and make me as you created me to be and created us to be. Equip us to fulfill your will. I pray that patience and perseverance are ingrained in our character, as well as compassion. Refine our perspectives, our attitudes, and our actions. We desire to be refined by your Holy Spirit, and we invite you to do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.